0: That was a really creative and fun number, wasn't it? Just uh, to be able to worship together. So, kids, if you haven't left our kids' church yet, you can go at this time. And then I have—I'm Pastor Tom, by the way. If you don't know me, um, if you can, I tried to recruit people in the first service to stick around and help to set up for our celebration service tonight. And then I realized I wasn't getting a very good response. I realized I was asking them to stick around for quite a while. So, second service, I'm asking you, if you would, stick around for about 10, 15 minutes just to set some things on the chairs in preparation for tonight. And if you'd be willing to do that, would just... Raise your hand, say so you help out, the more the merrier, it'll help us to uh, move fast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If anybody gets to urging uh, during service, we'd love to have your help. Fourth century BC, ancient historian Herodotus compiled what he called the seven wonders of the world. Some of those wonders included the hanging gardens of Babylon. You kind of maybe remember this from school. The Temple of Artemis at Ephesus. The Statue of Zeus at Olympia. And then the only one that still exists today, anybody know? The Great Pyramid in Giza, Egypt. 2006, USA Today compiled a more modern version of the seven wonders of the world. They include the old city of Jerusalem. The Mayan ruins of Mexico, the polar ice caps, the great migration on Serengeti plains of Africa, and then, drumroll please, the internet. Yeah, I don't exactly get that one, but I kind of do when I think about it a little bit more. Think about technology and technology's role in our lives and how amazed we are. With technological kinds of conveniences and all the things that the internet allows us to do. We're talking about the wonder of Christmas this morning. I submit to you that the greatest wonder in the universe is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ that we celebrate at Christmas time. The wonder of the world, the wonder of Christmas comes wrapped up in a package and put in the manger of Bethlehem. It's the Christmas story. And we can find the Christmas story in Luke. We can find it in Matthew. But we also find it in John, which is where we're going to study this morning. If you have your Bible, or if you have an electronic device, open up there to John. Our key verse is John 1, 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John gives us the Christmas story. Now, it's a Christmas story that doesn't have Bethlehem in it. Doesn't have the manger. Doesn't have Mary and Joseph. Doesn't have the angels. Doesn't have the shepherds. And you're thinking, well, what's left? What's left is the story behind the story. The rest of the story of Christmas. In John chapter 1, God in his word pulls back the curtains of history and shows us how God revealed himself as a man. We get a peek that you wouldn't even know. If you were sitting out on the hillside and heard the angels give their hosannas, you would know this rest of the story. Even if you were at the manger gazing in the beautiful, beautiful face of baby Jesus and you interviewed Joseph and Mary, you would know this story. So let's go to John one fourteen. The word became flesh. Be amazed. Be amazed that God came. He didn't have to come, you know. Be amazed that he came, that he loved you so much that he came. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He loves you that much. Starts off, it talks about the Word. The Word is Jesus. Now, in those first 18 verses of John chapter 1, we only find Jesus' name mentioned down in verse 17. But we know both within those verses and in the whole Gospel of John that the Word is referring to Jesus. Now John starts off his Gospel, if you notice, in chapter 1, verse 1, with a kind of enigmatic enigmatic statement. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. John goes all the way back, before the beginning, before there was no beginning. And he says, God, through Jesus, created the universe, created this world. Genesis 1-1, you remember. Similar language. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word, back in John, the word is a Greek word, logos, probably heard of it before logos there's a software that's logo software and this word was significant to both the Jewish people and the Greek people to the Jews they thought of the word of the lord the word that was given from genesis to malachi and through the word of the lord god revealed his plan his purposes his truth And now, here in John chapter 1, the Apostle John is saying, this word has become flesh. And then to the Greeks, they understood this word logos as kind of an impersonal force. Our our minds directly go to Star Wars. Use the force, Luke. Use the force. It's not exactly like that, but it's kind of like that. It's probably the best thing we can identify with. They just thought that there was this impersonal kind of force. And so they argued about what that was. And now the Apostle John is saying, whether you're from Jewish background, whether you're from Greek background, he says, the word has become flesh. God came. Be amazed. We're not just left like... People who believe in a God of deism. You know, the deistic God says that God created the universe and he just kind of backed away, sat back, watch what happened. You no, know, God cares intimately, personally for you. He cares what happens. Be amazed that God came. Be amazed that the word that The word became flesh, John 1.14. We call this in theological terms incarnation. I just put in my outline, God came in the flesh, because some of us get a little nervous at that word incarnation. Kind of a scary word, like predestination or velociraptor or something. You know, Scary. Don't, Don't be scared of the word incarnation. It's a good word. This is what it means, God came in the flesh, designed to shock us, that the God of the universe would do so, designed to make us wonder, designed to amaze us. Here's what Wayne Grudem says, theologian Wayne Grudem, no relationship to John Grudem. It's by far the most amazing miracle of the entire Bible far more amazing than the resurrection and more amazing even than the creation of the universe. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become man and join himself to a human nature forever so that infinite God became one person with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. Be amazed. Some of you have read The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. If you haven't, I recommend those books to you to read young and old. Great series of books. C.S. Lewis has Lucy speak words of truth in a magical scene like Lewis can portray so well. As, he's, as she's speaking from Narnia, she says this. She says, In our world, too, a stable had something inside it that was bigger than the whole world. Christianity is unique, you know. Christianity is unique in the way that we speak the truth of how God became man. We boldly proclaim that Jesus is God. Now, if you have a Jehovah Witness who comes and knocks on your door, begins to interact with you, what's one of the things that they'll try to talk you out of? they try to talk you out of the idea that Jesus could be God come in the flesh. If you have opportunity, in fact, I was just talking with someone after the last service who has an employment uh, opportunity where they... Work with someone from a Muslim background. She was telling me about the conversations they have, and so Kathleen and I spent a summer out in New York City. We'd go around and interact with people from Muslim background, and for them, it's shocking that Allah could show Himself in the form of a man. They, they can't imagine it. And so, even though there are tens of thousands of Muslims who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior around the world, it's very difficult for them to conceive that there would be a need for God to become man. Likewise, pick out religion after religion. It's unique. And it takes takes spiritual breakthrough. To really recognize the need for God to become man. To recognize that in our sin, that the call for sin is justice, is judgment. That the wages of sin is judgment, it says over in Romans chapter 6. And that because of the wage of sin being judgment, we need a Savior. And that God became man out of his love for you and me to pay the price for our sin. That God, he was resurrected, that Jesus was resurrected so that we might experience resurrection live. So we couldn't pay that wage ourselves. We couldn't wa- pay that wage because it's too costly. It's too much. And so God sent his one and only son. To die for your sins in mind, that whoever would receive him as Savior, who would ever acknowledge him as Lord, would know that God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God and enter into eternal relationship with him. That's the good news. Be amazed that God loves you and me that much that He become a man. Be amazed that the God of the universe cares enough for this sick planet to live on this planet, to heal the brokenhearted, to reach out to you, to share his love and grace with you. So at this time, let's just pause for a second. Worship through this video. Respond in your heart to who God is, Emmanuel, with us, and just tell him, thank you, Lord.
1: From high above us, God sees. from far beyond us God hears. from his eternal distant home God loves. He sees all people in all places. and it's easy for us to imagine that he does so from this perspective. high, Beyond, distant. But then, Christmas. It appears without earthly fanfare or celebration. The cry of this child screams that the same God who is above and beyond and distant has not only come close to us, but that he's indeed with us. So what if the name Emmanuel means what it means. Today, now, with us, the manger proclaims that the very presence of God is now present with us in the mundane, in the uncertainty, in the mystery that lies beyond our understanding or explanation. God himself is with us in our joy and our happiness. He's with us in our sadness and our brokenness. He celebrates in the light with us and he holds us in the dark with faithful and secure arms. What if the name Emmanuel means what it means? Christmas not only begs that we ask that question, but also provides the answer that our hearts have been longing for all along. Can this possibly be? Yes, it can. And it is God with us. Emmanuel, and he's closer than our wildest dreams can ever imagine. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel.
0: Next, the passage says that... After the word became flesh, he came and he lived among us. Or as Eugene Peterson says, he moved into the neighborhood. The word is a word that's used to describe setting up a tent. He came to the campsite. And he hung out with us. And he hangs out with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. It also points back to the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 33, describes the tent of meeting where God's people would come and meet with God. I remember being in Shiloh over in Israel, the place where the tent of meeting was set up. And just walking around there, an amazing experience. I brought an artifact back sometime. I'll show it to you if you're interested. But you know, the Israelites had an opportunity to meet with God but we have no less of an opportunity God has moved into the neighborhood in fact yet to all who received him John 1:12 says he gave the right to become a child of God and the spirit of God comes within us within our lives when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ he moved into the neighborhood and saw so, It tells us both of the comfort that comes from recognizing that Emmanuel is with us and also gives us a model for what God invites us to be. One contemporary writer tells about how we tend to rely upon information. And so Jim Peterson puts it this way. It says, too often we substitute information for incarnation. We tend to feel we accomplish the ministry by circulating biblical truth. The fact that we live in an information society facilitates this misconception. Circulating information costs time and money, but it doesn't cost us our lives. We all know it's really easy to rely on our technology, to go through the tweets, to put out Facebook information... Often enough that people hear from us, but not so often that people think we're obsessed with Facebook, right? And we tend to just rely and have that phone as an attachment all the time. I know, I'm guilty of it. We have an information society. And then we tend to forget that what folks need, well, you and I need, Our hugs, conversations, relationship, just like Jesus came and lived among us, moved into the neighborhood. The call of God as ministers of God's good news is to move into our neighborhoods, to be the people that we have opportunity to share God's goodness, His grace, His truth. Hang out. That's what Jesus did. That's what we're called to do. Be amazed. Be amazed that God would reveal himself to us. John 1.14, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. Down later in the passage, it says no one has ever seen God except he's revealed himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called God's only begotten Son, the King James Version. ESV has only Son. NIV has his one and only Son, expressing his uniqueness. Jesus looked like every other baby, ate like every other baby, made dirty diapers like every other baby, but he was unique, the one and only. And John says, We have seen his glory. And my question for you is, have you? Have you seen His glory? Do you know His glory? For many years as a child, as a teenager, our family went to church. We did the Christmas things. We'd get a bunch of presents, and then either on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day, when I was a young child, we'd have all those Christmas presents there, and we'd just tear into them, you know, and throw paper everywhere. Later on, when I became a teenager, I said, my brothers need to stop this. And that wasn't just my brothers, it was me too. I said, how about if we have some kind of arrangement where we take turns an organization to this, and so we slowed down a little bit. But it still, we tended to focus on the presence. We'd all go out to church on Christmas Eve, we do Christmas activities, do the Advent calendars, all that kind of thing. But became very distorted in terms of what we really celebrated. So a few years go by. I'm in college and I'm searching to know what truth is. To know what really matters in life, what's significant, what's purposeful, what the meaning of life is. And I got invited to be in a Bible study on the Gospel of John and I began to do research on asking question, is there really solid research for the life, the death, the miracles that are reported in Scripture? And so it was in my third year of college that I said, yes, Jesus, I believe. I trust in you as my Savior. So I returned back to my family Went to that same Christmas Eve service where every year we did the same things, sang the same songs, did the same rituals, but now everything was new. Now because I'd been born again by the Spirit of God, because now I trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, everything was new, and now I experienced God's glory. Saw it. Have you? Christmas would be a great time to experience God's glory for the first time or to renew that experience in your life. Say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I trust in you. I want to follow you. Be amazed. That God would reveal himself to us. Be amazed at the fullness of God's grace and truth. This is how verse 14 ends. It says that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. And the fact that he's full of grace and truth means that he wants to share that grace and truth with you and me. Grace is God's gift, truth is what's real. Bible gives us a powerful invitation to experience grace and truth. And apart from the glory of the incarnation we would not experience grace and truth. Because Jesus reveals the glory of God we come into experiencing grace and truth. The glory of God to us becomes the grace of God and truth for us. Now As humans, we tend to err and fall on one side or the other. We tend to be grace people sometimes, truth people at other times. And the key is to bring those two together. In the same way that God comes, that Jesus brings grace and truth, we're to be people of grace and truth. When we express grace and focus on grace, which we should. Without truth, though, grace can become kind of flimsy. And we can be quick to forgive without really talking about true repentance. We can express grace without really authentically entering into real and deep relationship if we're truth people kind of person that says a spade is a spade i'm just speaking the truth well then we can not even meaning to we can be harsh we can not really enter into relationship And so God, in an amazing way, brings both grace and truth. And I think a part of wisdom is learning how to have both at the same time, both in our own experience and in how we speak, how we enter in and minister to others. And I can't give you any magic formula for doing that. All I'm saying is that in my own experience and I think all of our experience that as we grow in maturity that we learn how to do both at the same time. In the same way that Jesus brings us both grace and truth, tremendous grace, forgiveness, peace, tremendous truth that speaks to the reality of who we are. In both our sinfulness and our capacity in being made in the image of God. Here's good news. Good news for people like you and me. Because Jesus is graceful, you can come just as you are. You can come to this communion table just as you are. For the first time, maybe the first time saying, yes, Jesus, I believe. For the 1,000th time saying, yes, Jesus, I believe and I rely, I trust on your grace, your forgiveness, which is freely given. We don't clean ourselves up and then come to him. We come to him and then he does the transforming, the cleaning, the changing. He's grace. Full. come to him because he's truthful full of truth you can come in complete confidence that he'll speak the truth to you now he uses his word to do that first and foremost but he also uses the experiences of life he uses wise people who speak truth because Jesus is truthful you'll experience truth in all its parameters you can expect he's going to speak with no BS say this is the way it is i love you i forgive you I bring you peace but i bring you truth only god can do that do you need a forgiving lord I do. You do. He's full of grace. Do you need a truthful Lord who speaks truth to you authentically, really, deeply? He brings truth. He's full of truth. Do you need to be amazed at this Christmas? Yes, of course. Be amazed. Be amazed that God is God that the Word became flesh, that he sent, God sent His Son, that He came. Be amazed that the God of the universe cares enough that He would send His one and only Son for you He die on the cross, to be raised to new life. Be amazed. Be amazed that He'd show you His glory. We come to communion, and this is a bit of what we celebrate at communion time. The way we go about communion here at New Hope Church is we invite you to come up the center aisle, come by the table, take the communion elements, return to your seats where we'll all take communion together. If you'd like to participate in the Tree of Hope, if you haven't had a chance yet, you can do that on your way by the tree as well. We'll come in a little bit on that at the end of the service as well. God's good. He's so good. Come to him. Come to him and experience his grace, his truth. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to come and fellowship with us at this time as our elders come forward. Let's enter into communion with a worshipful heart at this time.